Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your love sent your Son from the highest place. This perfect, holy place. And he came to this broken world to rescue us. And here we are, again gathered. Those whom you've rescued, we're here in this place. And not only in this place, but in thousands and thousands of other places throughout the world. Some of us gathering in rooms as large as this, or twice as large as this, or three times as large, and others gathering and in small basement-like cells with nothing to provide light except but a candle. Some of us worshiping in freedom and others worshiping under threat of persecution. But here we are to make much of you, Jesus, and what you've done. And we come to this place so hungry, we are starved for your word. So feed us. Please serve us your truth. And help me get out of the way so that what you once said gets said to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this guy behind me on the screen's name is Sergey, Sergey Sudev. And let me tell you why he's so happy. A few years ago, he was working in a radio station in uh, Moldova. And while he was working on the job, he heard over the newswire this report. Billionaire from Germany leaves fortune for nephew in Moldova. And about that time, he gets this phone call from some authorized representatives who had tracked him down to notify him that his uncle had passed away, his wealthy uncle, whom Sergei had last seen over 10 years ago. He must have made an impression because these representatives were there to notify Sergei that he had just inherited 950 million euros which uh, in our currency turns out to be about $1.3 billion. He says, is this a joke? No, it's no joke. No joke. Can you imagine coming into that kind of windfall? I mean, can you just fathom for just one minute? One minute, you're making 200 euros a month. And by the end of the day, you've been notified that you are a billionaire, a billionaire. How would your life change? People say, oh, my life wouldn't change. Oh, come on. <laughs> what do you mean it's, what do you mean it's not going to change? Of course it's going to change, you know? If you worked, if you worked, it's because you wanted to, right? Not because you had to. You'd be independent. You'd have freedom, autonomy, you could drive whatever car you wanted to. No, you could have someone else drive whatever car you wanted to, right? You live in whatever house you wanted to and have somebody else clean it for you. Your schedule could be your own. 
And you could just do whatever you wanted to do with nobody telling you what to do. You wouldn't have to be accountable to anybody if you had that kind of an inheritance. Yeah. And that's exactly how Americans tend to think about this thing called inheritance, right? We kind of think of, oh, if my ship could come in, if I could get that inheritance, if I had that kind of an uncle, why then I would be able to have the kind of resources where I wouldn't have to do anything that I would, I would have total independence. It's so easy to, I mean, that's how our culture is. And so, and so when we read the Bible and its many uses of the word inheritance or the many times that the word inheritance appears in Scripture, it's just kind of, it, it's, it's easy at least for me to read Sergei's story into the Scripture, especially when we hear an Advent reading, you know? God has also made you an heir. That is awesome. God is this really rich uncle, and I lucked out. Ten years ago, I showed up in a church service at the right place at the right time, and he happened to be in a good mood, and now I have all of the resources to be able to do whatever it is I want to do whenever it is I want to do it. That is awesome. I can dig religion. And such a notion bears absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to the Bible's use of the word inheritance. And it's this word that I want to talk about this morning as we continue our series, uh, Gifts Your Kids Can't Break. I want to talk about this unbreakable gift of inheritance. Inheritance. On your outlines this morning, I want you to listen to these verses Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Leviticus 20.24, God says to the nation of Israel, you will possess their land, the land of Canaan. I will give it to you as an inheritance. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. And then later on in scripture when King David considers the privilege of being the sovereign over Israel. He's overwhelmed with gratitude to God. Which is why he says in Psalm 16.6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance inheritance and did not jesus himself say in matthew chapter 5 verse 5 blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth and also matthew 25 34 come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world and then there's the Apostle Peter who says in the first chapter of his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an, what? Inheritance that can never perish 
spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. And then in Revelation 21, the apostle John sees the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and he hears Christ's promise. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation 21, 7. Now that does not sound like Sergei's story, does it? Not at all. It's a better story, this unbreakable, imperishable gift of the inheritance. Well, what is this anyway? When the Bible speaks of the word inheritance, are we just talking about some you know, touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy, churchy type of word? Huh? Or is there a reality? A reality that God is trying to get us to understand. And based on that reality, we are elevated to a life. A, a, a life that is beyond life on this earth. Well, I want to talk about this this morning, and um, I, I want to simply answer three questions. Uh, the first is this. What's the Bible mean when it talks about inheritance? What is the inherit? What is this anyway? What's the meaning of it? And the second is this. Who is the heir? Who is the heir? And the third is, uh, how is the inheritance received? All right? What and who and how? And, b- and before I... Before I get into those questions, let me just tell you why this really is important. And uh, eyes up here for a minute, please. Um, two reasons why this really matters. The first is this. You know, Christmas, some of us are in here today and we see the trees and the um, presents and go out into the foyer, we see the Christmas decor And we're smiling on the outside, but on the inside, we just wish life would fast forward to January the 2nd. Because we can't help but enter Christmas with just an ache. An ache over uh, really just loneliness or isolation. An ache over shattered dreams. Dreams of maybe uh, a gathering that's not going to take place. Or maybe there was a death that occurred near or on Christmas. And here you're approaching that and the ache grows and you just wish it would go away. And what I'm here to tell you today, church family, is that this gift of inheritance speaks to that ache. So please, please listen to the glory of this gift. And the second reason that this matters is You know, we live in such an age of uncertainty. I can't tell, reading the paper, if things are getting better or things are getting worse. I mean, one minute, things seem to be improving in our world and life and the economy, and then the next minute, things seem to be tanking, and it's just just a roller coaster, and it's like we're just on choppy waves, and is there an anchor? Is there there a, a, a source or a sense of security? And what I'm here to tell you today is, is that this gift of inheritance speaks to that uncertainty. It speaks to the isolation and loneliness, and it speaks to the insecurity. And so that's why. That's why this matters. So let's get to work with question number one. What? What does the Bible mean? What's the Bible talking about when it speaks of 
our inheritance. Well, here's what it's not. We're not talking about a lump sum of cash. When the Bible speaks about our inheritance, the Bible is speaking of receiving something of considerable value which has not been earned. When the Bible talks about our our inheritance, the Bible is speaking of, let's just call it a family treasure. A family treasure. Uh, uh, A valuable family treasure that, that is really a family trust, a family stewardship. It's meant to, to, to stay in the family. It's, it's meant to be a gift never to leave the family. And in the Bible, this gift or this trust or this inheritance is twofold. First, it's a place. Second, it's a person. When the Bible speaks of an inheritance, uh, it's always a somewhere with a someone. A place to stay. Land. A person to enjoy and experience the Lord. Land and Lord. Someplace, someone. That's what the Bible means when the Bible is talking about our inheritance. And in fact, uh, we see this on the very first page of Scripture. Uh, In your Bibles, just turn to page 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The original inheritance was at creation. Scripture says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So there's the the somewhere. There's the place. God had created and commissioned Adam and Eve to rule over creation as his image bearers. He had put them in Eden. Eden was this sort of sanctuary, this this sort of garden temple, this place of beauty and peace and community uh, and a place where they would experience God's presence. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 tells of God walking back and forth in the garden. And when we think of garden, you know, don't think about your little plot of land out in the back of your backyard unless you have a huge backyard. We're talking about a garden park. We're talking about this place of incredible peace and serenity. We're talking about a place where Adam and Eve experienced unbroken fellowship with their creator as they'd been commissioned to rule over creation. And daily they had fellowship with their maker. No wonder the word Eden means delight. Delight. And so Adam was this first priest, this high priest of this garden temple, sanctuary, where daily they met with God. And his commission was to rule, to cultivate, to work the garden. His assignment was to serve and guard this garden temple and then to grow it, to expand it. Can you see that in their commission in Genesis 1.28? Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That was their mission. Their mission was not just to stay within the confines of Eden just as it was. Their their mission was to expand the delight, to expand this 
this sanctuary so that it would fill the entire earth. He and Eve would have children. Who would have children? Who would have children? And soon the whole world would explode with the glory of God and the fellowship and the community and the delight with God would be enjoyed forever as they ruled and led creation beneath their Lord. And if any of this resonates with your spirit, it's because You've been wired to rule over creation. You have. One day, though, in the midst of this glorious commissioning and creation, one day, though, an intruder came to Eden. That's how Genesis 3 begins, you know? I mean, this beautiful, beautiful assignment and this community this, and this, this intimacy, this shalom between uh, Adam and Eve and their creator and, and between Adam and Eve and between Adam and Eve and the environment, this shalom that existed in which there was no shame. Genesis 2 ends with the words, they felt no shame. This no shame situation was suddenly, abruptly intruded upon by this serpent who is crafty, Scripture says. This reptilian trespasser enters Eden whose very first words question the word of our perfect creator. Did God really say did God really say and I want you to know right then and there was the opportunity for the commissioned garden priest judge king to fulfill his assignment Adam had the opportunity to rule after those very words from such an intrusive serpent, Adam, Adam should have taken that, ser- that serpent, that reptilian trespasser. He should have taken him to the place of judgment, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so often, I don't know, I've just, uh, so often I've thought of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like this, you know, this, this, this plant that came from Disneyland that grows up and then, you know, when you eat of its fruit, then all of a sudden the light bulb turns on and you're able to know the difference between good and evil. And that's not it. Because Adam already knew the difference between good and evil. God had told him. He told him which of the trees he could eat and which was not allowed. This tree was a tree of judgment. And Adam was the ruler. And instead of taking the serpent to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and judging him and then evicting him from Eden, what does, the, what does he do? He sides with the criminal. Adam trusts Satan's words more than his creator's. Don't you get it? Sin is not just breaking a rule. It's, it's deeper, sadder, uglier, and more maniacal than that. It's revolution. What God had called evil, Adam had called good, and vice versa. And as a result, as a result, as Don Carson says, 
Adam attempted to de-God God and make himself God. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself in that very situation. I've heard that voice in my life. Did God really say? Did God really say? As if to say, Randy, you're the exception. You're the exception, you know. Where are we tempted? Think about it right now. Where are we tempted to call evil good and good evil? Is it a relationship? Is it a business dealing? Is it something we're trying to rationalize? A decision we're trying to justify? And when we listen to that voice, and instead of of ruling and taking that serpent and judging that serpent and evicting that serpent, we side with the serpent. And as a result, we're the ones evicted. Like Adam, we become exiles of the very place where we'd been commissioned to serve. And worse yet, we become exiles in our relationship. We lose the place and we lose the person, don't we? Adam spoiled his inheritance, as have we. As have we. So what's the point of knowing what the inheritance is, a somewhere with a someone, if it's lost? (laughs) I mean, what's the point? Oh, the point is the graciousness of our God because you see, even in our rebellion, God is merciful. That's why he said to the serpent in Genesis three fifteen, a verse in the Bible that's been called the first gospel, the first declaration of the gospel. God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. That is a mortal blow. And you will strike his heel. That's a painful blow. God would act, even in the midst of our insurrection, to restore the lost inheritance, to restore the somewhere and to restore the someone out of his graciousness. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament just tells this story. The, the, the story of God acting to accomplish Leviticus 26, 11, I will put my tabernacle among you, the somewhere. And the someone, I will live among you. I'll be your God and you be my people. That's the rest of the Old Testament. And that's why he worked through Israel and the prophets until our Advent reading. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam would succeed. 
And that's why when Jesus came on the scene, I mean, he did everything that Israel had failed to do. You remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? You know the wilderness temptations? Do you realize that each of those temptations, uh, be it the stones to bread or the temptation to leap off the temple or to bow in worship to Satan in exchange for the kingdoms, you know each of those temptations were a recreation or a reliving of Israel's wilderness tests, tests which they had failed but tests which Christ had passed What I'm saying is that Jesus lived the life Israel should have lived. And Jesus was bold enough then to march into the capital city of Israel, into the most important place, the the, the place where faithful Hebrews called the center of the world, the temple itself, only to say, I am the temple. I am the somewhere. And I am the someone, I am the son of the living God. I am the meeting place. And if you want a relationship with our creator God, you must go through me. That's why John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. He literally tabernacled. That's the word. Made his dwelling is the word tabernacle. He's the place. At one and the same time, Jesus is the somewhere. Jesus is the someone. And he insisted he was the ultimate temple of God, the ultimate meeting place between ourselves and our heavenly father. And it's as if he said, if these rebels are going to be reconciled to this holy God, they must come. They must come to this holy God by means of a temple, a temple that God has ordained. And Jesus said, without shame, I am that temple. Isn't that why the apostle John says, we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only. Moses said in the Old Testament, God, show me your glory. And God said, do you want to die? No, you can see my back, but you won't see my face. But John said, we've seen his glory. And where was that glory seen? On a tree. On a judgment tree on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus was judged. He who was good on that tree was pronounced evil so that we who are evil might be pronounced good. And that is why Jesus is declared the rightful heir. That's question number two. The inheritance is the somewhere with the someone. Well, Jesus is the the heir. He's the somewhere and the someone. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And when the Son rose from death, he secured for us the inheritance that had been lost in Eden. Jesus has restored the delight. His resurrection is the first of what soon will be the norm. Church family, we haven't experienced normal yet. We haven't. Death is not normal 
Sickness is not normal. Funeral homes are not normal. We haven't experienced normal yet. But one day, because Christ is heir of all, all of creation will be redeemed. What is true of Christ will be true of all. All of creation will be restored. And we will have a place, the new heavens and the new earth, and we will see a face, the face of the heir, the somewhere and the someone, and we will be with the Lord forever. What I'm saying is that our inheritance is nothing less than life forever in a resurrected body, living in a resurrected earth, worshiping and serving and ruling with the resurrected king, a someplace and a someone. I can't wait. What about you? Do you think about that? Huh? Oh, does anybody have a smartphone on them? Do you? Carl, may I? That's why it's not turned on. Thank you, Carl. Can you turn it on? Look at that. That's cool. What's it? What's it doing? It knows it's in church, so it's quiet. It's why it's a smartphone. That's good. I think this is about the only smartphone in this church. I'm telling you, this is good. This is inc- I mean, this is incredible when you think about the things you can do with these smartphones. You know, you can, like you can read your Bible right here, just without your smartphone. And some of you may, may be doing that already. This thing just buzzed or shocked me or something. <laughs> and you can, uh, you know, you, you can, as you can receive phone calls on this thing, and, and we often do about this time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can text too. You can text, you know, like you can read your Bible, then you can like text to someone. It's, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. It's amazing, and it's touch and all that. And in fact, we, it's just tweeting here too. Is this okay? It's talking to me. All right. It says, hurry up, preacher. Well, this is, a, we have one of these things too here. One of the, this is like a, this, is, this technology is incredible. It really is, you know, and we have, we have this, and this is, actually, this is like the countdown. You didn't probably know this, but it's right there on the chair almost every Sunday, and it's, it's a countdown to remind me of, you know, time seems to fly on that side of the pulpit. I'm just telling you, and, uh, but uh, I don't pay much attention to this anyway. Is this stuff, is this incredible? To really think about this technology. This technology that we have is absolutely incredible. And, and it was created in a broken, fallen, sinful world. Aren't you curious about what these things will look like in the new heavens and the new earth? I am. I mean, really, think about it. I mean, if, if something as amazing as that can be created in a broken world... Well, what is there to behold in a resurrected world? Well, I want, how do I get that? Well, that's question three. Question three. We get that, we receive that through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Galatians 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And in our Advent reading, Galatians 4, 7, and since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. And Romans 8, 17 says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. So then Christ is heir and we are co-heirs, fellow heirs, receiving the inheritance that belongs to him, he shares it with us by faith. And we receive this inheritance after enduring patiently and after suffering with him. But the good news is this. It's not that we don't have the inheritance at all now. We get it only later. No, no. The gospel is that we have already started receiving the inheritance that will one day be ours in whole. Paul promises us this in Ephesians 1 when he says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the deposit, that God will come through in full. Amen. In full until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Oh, don't you understand? The scripture himself uh, uh, says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit has raised our spirits so that we reign with Christ. It's already started. Our bodies just need to catch up, okay? You're a child of God, the Spirit says. You're a co-heir with Christ. And now we are the temple of the living God. God indwells living stones. And our commission is to fill the earth, to contagiously influence our world for him, to fill this world with the glory of God. And that's why what you do tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock matters. What you do tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock is your opportunity to expand the delight, to expand Eden at your place of work, at home, at your, at your boards, to your neighbors. Listen to me. When you walk into a room, when you walk into a meeting, whether it's an office or at home, do you bring the peace of the Holy Spirit with you? Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's following you? What, what is in your wake after you leave? Is it goodness, mercy, peace, or is it bitterness or chaos? What is it? And you may say, well, I don't have any influence because I'm not president of anything. You know what? There's a biblical word for that. Baloney! baloney. Paul says to slaves in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, to slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. And why? Why? 
since you know that you will receive a what? An inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Don't you get it? Paul is telling slaves in the Roman Empire that they're one day going to receive an inheritance. Slaves didn't receive inheritances back then. And you know why? Because they're slaves. That's why. But here in Christ, the lowest in Roman society would be elevated higher than Augustus as heirs in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh my goodness, the best is yet to come. The someplace and the someone. A resurrected body and a resurrected earth serving a resurrected king. I can't wait. You know, one time I was flying uh, from point A to point B. I don't even remember. All I remember was I was on the back of the plane. That's what I remember. But then, by some miracle, I got bumped to first class. I mean, it was beautiful. I've never regretted that. (laughs) You know, I I mean, once I got up there, I was comfortably seated. You know, I never, I never remember saying, I never remember saying, what am I missing at the back of the plane? You know, I mean, I, I went from little leg room to lots of leg room. I went from knees in my mouth to this lazy boy recliner. It was beautiful. I mean, I went from a saran-wrapped veggie wrap to like, like a meal with, with metal utensils. I went from Sanka to Starbucks. <sighs> right now, we live in a Right now, right, right now, you know what? We live in a broken, fallen world. And one day, one day, the sin and the death and the suffering and the stuff at the back of the plane, oh, it's all going to be redeemed. That's why Jesus says in Revelation 21, 7, He who overcomes will inherit all this. All this, that's the place. And then he says this, I will be his God, there's the person, and he will be my son. Church family, our inheritance is a somewhere with a someone. No wonder, no wonder someone once said, I've never been to heaven, but I miss it. Let's pray.